My name is Carrie Stewart, and an undisclosed number of years ago, my life started in diapers. Hi, I'm Jill. And I'm Ashley. And this is Poverty Pitfalls and the Price of Diapers with my dog licking the microphone. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully hopefully that sound won't come through. No, Um, I'm not hearing it. (laughs) Okay, that's great. I'm pretty excited today. Well, first of all, you know, our last episode, we kind of did that, the mashup of of a little spotlight of all of our episodes so far. And do you know what I learned from that, Ashley? What? Um, That we really probably need to invest in some better equipment one of these days. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know. I, well, whenever you use your microphone, I feel like I can always hear you really well, but then I kind of sound off in the distance. Right. Or our guests, you know, because we're still doing this virtually. So I do think hopefully we can start doing these in person one of these days with some actual nice equipment and it will sound a lot better. Um, But you know, I would love that. We're still new. We're starting out. It's fine. We're learning as we go. So um, thanks for everybody who's going along on this journey with us. Yes. It was um, good to go back through all the guests and because how long have we been doing this? Has it been over a year? No. We've done 13 episodes. And we do them every other week. So we're getting there. We're getting to almost a year. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, you're right. Well, it'll be, we're, we'll, we'll be coming up on it. Um, so, oh, I do want to talk about, didn't we talk about you starting sand volleyball last time and it was freezing? <laughs> I can't remember <laughs> if we did or not. I think we did. I think I know we, we talked about me going to the, to Jefferson city. Right. Um, how, well, how did volleyball go? We all want to know. Well, for those of you who've been waiting to hear, um, it was great. It started out great. I mean, it was cold. We're all in sweats, you know, sweat shirts and yeah. toboggan. I call them toboggans, stocking caps, whatever you call them. <laughs> <laughs> toboggan. I love yeah, it. I that's love what it. we call them in Virginia. Um, but so we, we played one game and we were doing kind of terrible. My team was, and then it started side sliding. And so the, the ball just would, the wind would take the ball completely in the opposite direction. And we finally, we kept playing the game and our team caught up and we ended up, I think we ended up, no, we ended up losing by one point, oh. but it would have been a blowout otherwise. And then it was just, well, we can't stand out here in the sand and sleep. No. Like this is insane. So they called it. So That's good. now I have two games tonight and I won't be getting home until after 10, which for me is. Right. That's after past. my bedtime. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm never out of the house after nine o'clock right. <laughs> unless it's the weekend or something, but, well, but it's fun. Yeah. I mean, I'm turning 40 this year, so I'm trying to, are you going to do When is your birthday? August 15th. Okay. I'm going to go to Vegas, Vegas, baby. I've never been. I'm trying to create some new memories, you know, since my life what? is completely different. Wait a second. Hold up. <laughs> You've never been to Vegas? Never been. Mm-mm. Yeah. So I'm going to go the day after I my birthday. I'm speechless. Wow. You'll have okay. to give me some recommendations. Okay. Well, I haven't been in a long time. <laughs> that, was, that was in my 20s. <laughs> oh, but, I know. I, no. yeah, I've yeah. never been. Oh, wow. Well, that'll Looking be forward to it. 
a lot of fun. And we booked it before the prices went skyrocketing oh. for flights. Thank goodness. Good. Good. So yeah. I got in on the cheap it's flight. Crazy right now. Oh I my know. gosh. That'll be so much fun. You're that's yeah. right. You're gonna join the 40s club at work. Don't I am. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good times. Um, well, I am really excited for our guest today, Carrie Stewart. She is a longtime board member who just her term just ended, um, but we're not letting her get away that easily. She's still on three committees and <laughs> of Happy Bottoms. And I love it when I meet people who also know Carrie and they know that I'm associated with Happy Bottoms. And they're like, that is all she talks about is Happy Bottoms and diaper need this, diaper need that. And I mean, what more could you ask for in a board member? How that's great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she rattles off facts right after another and she's passionate about it. And she would, she would fight to the death for us. I feel like I think she would. <laughs> I, I, think think you're right. you would. I think you're right. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, she is, she's fun. So, um, we'll leave you with Carrie and we hope you enjoy. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Jill. Carrie, you know, Ashley, right? I do. Yes. I know Ashley. Okay, Hi, good. Carrie. I sometimes forget, you know, especially during these COVID years, who's gotten to get together and meet and work with each other and who hasn't. So, well, I know exactly when Ashley started because our social media presence was, um, increased by folds and in a way that I've been really proud to be a part of happy bottoms with. Oh, that's so nice of you to say. Thank you. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, well, Carrie, you have been, we're so excited to have you today. You've been a longtime board member who just rolled off, but don't worry, everybody. She's still really involved. <laughs> <laughs> um, still on, still on some committees and, and I still have her direct phone number so I can call her anytime I need. Um, but Carrie, tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about, you know, your life and, um, how you got to where you are today. Sure. I, uh, grew up in the Northland in, in Kansas city, Missouri. We landed here as a family because my dad was an FBI agent and that's where he got transferred. Uh, so we were here as a you know, mom, dad, two kids, uh, and no family, no family. And the FBI as a, as a, you know, friend set and family set from the get go. Um, so I didn't have the privilege of having, you know, grandparents or other caregivers, trusted caregivers in your life. Like some people need, um, my mom stayed home with us. We were really lucky with that. And my dad was gone a lot because of his job. So that's one of the biggest things I remember about my childhood is um, the times that he was away when I know he would have wanted to be there for us. But somehow when I hit high school and I started playing soccer, you know, our team would come onto the field and my dad would already be in the stands for every single game. And when we would run around the field at the beginning, we would all wave at him, every single one of us. And my dad was the only person. So um, that's a great memory too, because I know there were years when he couldn't do that because of what he was doing. That's awesome. That's really cool. And <laughs> FBI, I mean, yeah. So you probably can't talk about what he did. It's all like, did he have to leave everything at work and you couldn't really know what he was working on? Yeah, he he didn't bring a lot of it home with him. I know when I was really little um, in diapers, he was actually uh, doing some undercover work 
And um, the local police officers knew that he was away and they would pop in and, you know, my mom had two young kids. And so they would run to, to the store to get her milk or diapers or whatever oh. was she needed. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. Um, I remember that much of it when he was getting a little bit older, but, you know, pretty soon he had to move away from that. He did bank robberies uh, and violent crimes as the division that he was in. And um, so I'm really glad he lets me work at Commerce Bank. He said that it's one of the safest banks around. Oh, yay. <laughs> yep. Wow. What an interesting career. I'm sure we could talk about yeah. that. Some, some days on Saturdays, see my mom a break. If my dad had more work to do, he would bring us downtown with him. And their office was at the corner of 8th and Grand. And as a kid, I remember thinking that the city was a place that you went, that, that your parents went to work and that was it. I didn't know that there was, I thought you lived in the suburbs and then you came to work in the city. Mm -hmm. um, and when we come with him on the weekends, it would be dead. I mean, I had every reason to think that because there wasn't a lot of people living downtown. Right. Nobody else was really working that day. Um, and that was, that was just what my belief was I never asked, you know, or learned any different. Mm -hmm. Um, and now looking back, it's shocking because I know that that is not the case by far. And what I was, um, was sheltered from, from the hurt and the poverty that exists, you know, right around the corner from where I spent some time as a kid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And especially back then, because, you know, there really wasn't anything in downtown Kansas city, proper, right? I mean, it was a lot of, yeah, that was probably 25, 30 years ago. Yeah. People didn't go down there for anything. Um, now the, you know, Kansas city, the housing area. Yeah. So you probably were just didn't see any of that or know what was going on. Yep. But. No condo buildings, no streetcar, mm -hmm. no power and light district. Crazy, crazy, Very crazy. Different. So, um, how did you get then from high school soccer to where you are now? how'd you land in this kind of line of work, which I definitely want to talk about a little bit. Yeah. So I always, since I was a kid, I thought that I wanted to help people make good choices with their money. And for whatever reason, that was what I always, you know, ran to as what wow. I was passionate about as a kid. So I was pretty good at math, um, and, uh, took accelerated classes all through school, um, when I was in eighth grade, they actually bust me and five other kids to Winnetonka High School for first period geometry class. And then they had a bus that brought us back to our middle school for the rest of the year or for the rest of our classes. Um, it would have worked out if I had stayed in, you know, crazy math. But once I hit calculus, I didn't like it anymore. So <laughs> I took those classes all year earlier than everybody else did, but it didn't, you know, turn out to be the part of finance that I cared about. Um, but I did still love numbers and love math and love money and investments. So I went away to college at Truman State University and um, always still like for every day of my life, I wanted to do something with math. For a while, I thought maybe I'd be a math teacher. And um, it, it always had to do with math, but then it became finance. So I graduated from college with a finance degree and I graduated right before 9-11. Mm. I'm sorry, right after 9-11. 9-11, you know, 01. And then um, 
three months later, I hit the job market and everything was gone. There were so few financial industry positions available. Um, and so the one that worked out for me was at Commerce Bank. And um, 20 years later, I've never looked back. Wow. It's been um, a safe spot this whole time through all the ups and downs of the financial industry. But once I started working, it became clear to me that there was a part of corporate America that I felt was missing that I needed in my life. And that was that like sense of giving back and um, helping people. I realized that that's not just something that you're, you have to do. You have to actually seek it out and want to do things like that. And that not everybody wanted to do that, which surprised me. Um, now I know that there are capitalists and there are politicians and there are other people that have no sense of, you know, the, the need to help people, but that wasn't ever me or something that I was going to be able to live with. So luckily there were plenty of avenues within Commerce Bank for me to get more involved in working with nonprofits and charities. And the more I learned about them, the more I learned about poverty and how there's so many people that grew up in a completely different circumstance than I did. Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting. What is your title? I'm the assistant director and uh, also a program officer for the William T. Kemper Foundation, the Oppenstein Brothers Foundation, and the Richard J. Stern Foundation for the Arts, which are all housed at Commerce Bank. Right, because I think- So now I'm in the part of the bank where I get to give away money mm-hmm. <laughs> and help help people make deci- good decisions with their money um, instead of being in the part of the bank where you're either working on investments or lending or- um, deposits. Mm -hmm. So it's been a a wild ride getting here, but it's, um, it's a great place for me to be where it still has those intersections of the things I care the most about. Yeah. I don't think before happy bottoms, I ever, you know, to me, the bank was, yeah, where you went and deposited money and, you know, did, did like, but it never crossed my mind that that's where a lot of good took place and where, you know, people are doing the kind of work that you're doing, Carrie, and representing um, people who have a lot of money and a big, huge heart to, to, to help the community direct some of that money into the community. Um, And it's really cool. And it's really cool to have gotten to know you a little bit over these past years, because you are so passionate, I think, about our community and about giving back. Um, and you just, you know, a lot about the nonprofit world. You wouldn't think somebody that works at, you know, Commerce Bank just knows all the ins and outs of the nonprofit world. So it's, it's really pretty cool. So kind of speaking of that, how, how did you, how, I guess, and when did you first learn about poverty and maybe even how has that changed, you know, with this role that you're in? Yeah, it's changed a lot. My work here has definitely shaped um, and changed some of the views that I have on many different topics. So um, not every bank has the trust department where you can do this type of work, but a lot of the larger banks do have a trust division. And basically the role of a trust office is to, um, when when you pass away, you can leave your assets in trust with uh, someone who has a fiduciary responsibility to do what it is that you left as your final wishes. And so boiling it all down, it's kind of my job now to um, take what, what these 
philanthropists left in, as their wishes and enact it in today's environment. And sometimes these wishes were given decades ago and we have to interpret what it would, would be best to do today. Right. Um, and so I actually, before I got to that part uh, in philanthropy, I was in the trust company working directly with nonprofits in our community, helping with their investments and their relationship management. And that was when I really started learning. As I learned more about my clients who were nonprofits, I started learning about why they do what they do and what is wrong with our the way society works that keeps them in business. Um, because as I know that you would love, Jill, um, a lot of nonprofit leaders would wish they could work themselves out of a job and what it is that they do it wouldn't be needed anymore. You know, it's sad that we need to have a diaper bank. It's sad that we need to find a way to subsidize diapers because right now the government doesn't do it in ways that they subsidize other things like milk and formula and food for right. people that need it, especially when you're talking about kids. Yeah. So right now it's my job to learn as much as I can about poverty and other issues that affect our community and try to help make, um, you know, help make decisions and help influence decisions and help bring information that's going to help our decision makers understand why these things are important mm -hmm. and why it changes over time. Um, and so I just, you know, have the privilege of getting to spend a lot of my time learning about these issues and then literally trying to find ways that where we can influence small changes um, at foundations. You're never going to boil the ocean. The, the real money is in government. The real money is in the, you know, sectors that um, have billions of dollars, not millions of dollars. And, um, but, but, you know, sometimes we can, we can make it in a difference for a while before for that, that change is made. Um, one of the analogies that I've been given along this path that I think is really important is that, you know, the government funding mechanism for social security is like this big cruise ship, this huge cruise ship that's going in a certain direction. And if it wants to change directions, it's really a slow process <laughs> to get to moving around. And so then you have the foundations that are these little tugboats and the little tugboats can move faster and be smaller, but I'll come and fill in until the cruise ship can get there. <laughs> so I like to think that that's a part of what we do is being in front of the social change that needs to happen um, to help stop the bleeding in some cases before the government can get there. Now, whether or not the government is getting there, will get there, whatever is another story and also <laughs> depends on which right. issue you're talking about. But the that, tugboats can actually make a difference. Yeah, that cruise ship might be infected with the norovirus too and have to deal with that first. <laughs> Um, yeah, or they're stuck trying to get in a port somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, that's a, I like that analogy though. That's really, that's a really nice, I have not heard that. I really like that a lot. Me neither. What kind of changes have you seen Carrie, as far as the trends on what funders are looking to support? Has that changed over the time that you've been there or what does that look like in today's world? What, what are they passionate about? What are they, where's their focus? I mean, I know it's diverse, but if you've seen a trend of where that focus has changed over the years, what, what does that look like? So I would say 
one change that I've seen, you know, we have a few healthcare foundations here in Kansas City now that we didn't necessarily have when I started in this business um, that were created, I'm boiling this down, you know, a nonprofit hospital that had an endowment for its use in perpetuity gets bought by a for-profit and then that money that had been given for perpetuity has to spin out of the for-profit and it becomes a healthcare conversion fund. And so then all of a sudden there's pools of dollars available for the healthcare needs of the community. And so I think our we've pulled back on our focus in healthcare somewhat because there are other funders that focus on it exclusively. Um, and I, maybe there's others that have done that. And then there's other, you know, the, 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 another fantastic foundation, the Sunderland foundation has come online and they've got, um, a lot of money that they're doing amazing things with. They like to do things that involve, you know, buildings. And so we know that if there's a building project, we can either partner with them or maybe they don't need us because the charities can go to them for, financial assistance, and maybe we would help them with something else. So you definitely see changes in strategies and in focuses based on what's happening in the landscape um, of, of who's giving dollars. But then obviously you see things change with what's happening in the community. Um, thinking about some of our refugee serving agencies a year ago, they had in the single or double digits of refugees that would come through every year in a whole year, you know, the Trump administration had it decreased those numbers. And so the staff that had been serving um, refugees and creating the programs to serve them and help them and help them get food and clothes and apartments and GEDs and language classes and jobs were all, uh, those jobs had gone away because nobody was using them. And then all of a sudden last year, we see this influx of refugees coming to our area, which is amazing. There's a lot that we can learn from, from our neighbors in other countries and a lot of things they bring. But, you know, those organizations had to be really nimble and spin up those programs that they hadn't really had to utilize for a few years. And funding needed, and funding had to follow that. There was no other way to build you know, supplement the stipend that the refugee families received for coming to the United States and get their life started. They need more than that to really be successful. And that funding had to come from private philanthropy. And we're proud to have been a part of that. That's awesome. Was most of that from Afghanistan or from all places? So part of it is that the new administration is more open to receiving refugees in general. Um, a lot of refugees will sit in refugee camps around the world for years before they get a chance to actually go live in a, in a country, one of which would be the United States. Um, so the administration opened those numbers back up higher than they were before. And then a huge part of it, like you said, Ashley, was Afghanistan and some special rules that went into place to make sure that those families were able to be served here in the United States because the Afghan people had been such an ally, an asset for our military for such a long time. And then the third thing is, you know, now we have the, the sad state of affairs in Ukraine. I think it'll be a while before we see Ukrainian refugees actually make it to their end destinations like America. But um, as long as, as long as it's a 
priority of our government to keep that going. I mean, there's never going to be, you know, other parts of the world that don't need the help of a country like ours that can give people opportunities that they don't have in their war-torn nation. I actually have a friend who's a refugee um, who's from Sudan, and she's been in the States for probably 20 years, but those stories will always be with her. And to hear her talk about her experience and what being in the United States has meant to her is amazing. And she has a bunch of kids and they're growing up and two of them have already graduated from college. Wow. You know, the, there's so much to be gained from other cultures um, that we're able to bring here if we get them started right. Why Just like our kiddos those that stories. we serve at Happy Bottoms, you know, you yeah. get them started right and it makes That's all the true. difference. Yeah, I wish we I wish we could hear more of those stories, you know, successful refugee stories. I know there's, you know, I mean, thousands, probably millions. Maybe I'll see if she wants to come on your podcast. Joe. Yeah. Oh, that'd be, that'd be yeah, that'd be love great. That. We would love that. Um, so we're all leaders in some way. Can you tell me how you're a leader and if there was a defining point or person that led to that? I think. Yeah. One of my favorite parts about being a leader is actually um, problem solving for and helping those that I'm leading. Um, so if like it's it makes me feel good about my job if one of my colleagues is having a problem. Now that sounds really bad, but <laughs> if they're having a problem that that I can help with. And I can give them advice or step in or, you know, come, help them come up with a solution that's going to make things better for them. Um, that's my favorite thing to do. And I think that's what I do for my job. But it's also my part, favorite part about being a leader, um, just opening roadblocks and problem solving and taking away barriers so that others can do the best they can in what it is that they're they're doing. And you're so good at it. I mean, I have, I really do have to say, because, you know, you're on the happy bottoms board or, or I guess now you've rolled off, but you have been, there've been ups and downs and, um, you're definitely somebody that I can always call and talk about a situation and you are just always, you always have somebody's back. You just like you, you know, you get it. Even if they're, even if they're on the wrong track, you're still going to support them and, help get them back on the right track and just a positive, really supportive atmosphere. So, um, I love the way you said it. Cause I, it, that's true. You, you do that and you do that very well. So that's really awesome. It's really awesome. Thanks Jill. Yeah. I appreciate that. I, yeah. I will say that, um, you know, I like to think big and, um, I've really enjoyed the conversations we've had over the years about, you know, how can we make diaper need go away or, or get reduced or whatever. And we still don't deliver by drone, but at least now we know that, you know, other <laughs> companies do, <laughs> but Wal Walgreens in Silicon right. Valley is delivering Domino, by Domino's pizza is <laughs> delivering by like what they've got a little remote car thing it's i know yeah I'll you never... just never know what we can do to make diapers more affordable that's and that's the right. thing you hear with with happy bottoms i mean it just makes sense because our families one cloth diapers is not an option for them yeah. and i was raised on cloth diapers by the way so when i started that well one when i had a baby of my own i felt a lot of shame because i wasn't willing to go through all the craziness of having cloth diapers yeah um, uh, and I felt bad that the diapers that I was using, you know, couldn't be recycled or whatever, but 
that was the world that I lived in. Um, I've always worked. I didn't stay home. I didn't have that ability um, to care for my family in the same way that my mom did. And the more I've learned about happy bottoms, like cloth diapers for the families we work with would be an absolute joke. They have no way to clean them. Mm. Laundromats will not take them. I mean, you, I'm preaching to the choir here. They won't take them. (laughs) You can't have them. Daycares won't even take my day. My kid's daycare would not take his cloth diapers. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, that's not an answer for these families. And you know, what else isn't an answer? Sending them down to the corner grocery store to buy them at a really high price because Mm -hmm. that's all they can do because they can't take, you know, their three kids on the bus to Costco and buy in bulk and then try to bring a whole big box of diapers back with them. It's just impossible. So just the fact that Happy Bottoms involvement brings the price of diapers down significantly Mm -hmm. is a huge win. Um, that I love being, you know, again, it's the numbers, right? For me, it's all about the numbers. So (laughs) we can make that happen. um, And when our donations from, from our donors can buy way more diapers than anyone can on their own, Mm -hmm. um, you know, pooling our resources like that just makes sense. Yeah, I do. I do have to go down the drone rabbit hole. So this was a board meeting we had years ago. I don't even remember how many years ago, several strategic plans ago. And we were just kind of sitting around brainstorming and it was kind of like, no, no ideas are off limits. And Carrie comes up with this. Why aren't we droning and like dropping the boxes on people's front door? And like, this was before drones were really a thing. I mean, you know, this was like... (laughs) when you probably had to be a super tech person to even know what a drone was or like that those, you know, I remember doodling a hot air balloon. Yes, yes, (laughs) you did. I remember that too. Yeah. So Denise McNerney was leading our, you know, Uh she's been so great to Happy Bottoms leading those offsite strategy sessions. And I was really inspired. There was a lot to think about that, um, you know, <laughs> one day, Jill. One day. One day. One day. We're, I love yeah, it. We're gonna change the world. Um. So, why do you think some of us end up in a pile of it, and some of us get out clean? You know, I wish I knew. Um, <laughs> I think that you know, circumstances early on are so important. For instance, you know, there's parts of my life that, like a family coming to Kansas city where they knew no one here and had no connections and no backup support and, you know, no home base, uh, other than each other, you know, that was a risk factor that could have derailed, um, our family in some ways. Um, but you know, my parents were resilient and luckily they found a great church and made some friends and we got to know the neighbors. And so me and my brother were taken care of, even though they got pulled in other directions sometimes. Um, but when I think about, you know, if I didn't have that network that they built, what would I do? Um, it, it could have very easily gone the other way. Mm-hmm. And then when I think about, you know, coming into a, um, a job that where the expectations are the way that it was impacting my personal life. When I realized that there was this really big part of myself that at the time that I needed to fulfill, you know, I got lucky that there are opportunities here at 
a bank. I mean, I didn't know what trust was at the time. I had to go to trust school. Commerce sent me to trust school so wow. I could learn what trust was. Yeah. That it, cause it's not something they teach you about in college. It's a no. very important concept. Um, and it just ended up being such a great fit for me. I, I think I was in the right place at the right time, happened to have connections and communicate, you know, I'm open. I talk to people. Um, I, I'm pretty genuine, um, which is sometimes good and sometimes not. Um, but you know, when you, you, when you just follow your heart and follow your dreams, bad things can still happen, but hopefully at least you won't be overly, you know, upset about what it is you're doing in life. And if you are, you just need to try to try to change it. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of it's luck. I hate saying that. I think that, um, you know, there's some addiction issues in my family. Mm -hmm. I didn't get them. Other people did. Wow. So, you know, yeah, I think that of that is luck. And maybe if I had, and I'd overcome them, I'd be an even better person, mm-hmm. but, um, but luckily you didn't have some to of deal it with that. Luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, what do you most value? Wow. I value right now. I value my parents um, the most they, I don't know where I would be without their support on a daily basis. Um, I'm a single mom and I have a kid that is, um, wild and, um, he has a lot going on. He's an athlete and he's had some successes and I couldn't do it by myself. I, it takes that village and, you know, thinking back, like my parents didn't have that when they had me. Um, I'm so lucky that I have them and they mean so much to me. Um, and they, their presence in our life, make it possible for me to live out my dream here, working in my job, um, in philanthropy and ultimate, you know, what I thought I wanted to do when I was six, help people, um, help people make good choices with their money. I did not at the time think that they would actually be people that weren't alive anymore, (laughs) (laughs) but all the same, um, I'm just, I value being part of that process. I value the work that I do. I value the relationships I have, but I definitely would say most of all, I value my parents. Oh, well, I hope they listen to this because that was really, I'll make sure they do. Really touching. That was really nice. Love you, mom. Love you, dad. Oh, you're gonna make me cry. <laughs> um <laughs> and my dad will be like, why did you tell people that I took you to work on a Saturday? <laughs> <laughs> why not? Um, the fact that you knew what you wanted to do at such a young age and are actually doing that. I mean, I think that's so rare. That's I really only know one. I thought I made it up. I didn't know it was an actual job. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. My mom's like, no, they do that. That's, that's a thing. That's a thing. (laughs) And then that you actually went on to do it. That is really impressive. That's really, really impressive. Okay. Speaking of your dad though, I want to go back to this. (laughs) So was he strict because he worked for the FBI? Yeah, there were, you know, um, there are times when my life was probably in danger and I didn't know it. And my yeah. dad would make me, you know, stay home on a Saturday night or, right. um, not walk home in the dark because of reasons that I never knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, they, they were strict in, in some ways. Yeah. Um, 
but you know, that, that was something that, that was important. I remember they wouldn't let me go trick or treating. Like we were only allowed to go on our street and I, don't really know what that was all about because I doubt like someone that my dad put in jail would, you know, go hide in the house four <laughs> doors down so they could poison my candy. <laughs> I feel like trick-or-treating was sketchy though, back in a certain mm-hmm. time period. I really feel like trick-or-treating was a little, a little sketchy, not, you know, it's maybe not as sketchy these days. <laughs> well, I remember, as an adult, it's just never been my thing. Like, I never, you know, like, even when I was old enough to tell my parents where I was going rather than yeah. the other way around, it, I never wanted to do it. But do it. when I was a kid and everybody else got to, it was devastating. Oh, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say, Ashley? Oh, I was just going to say, I remember one year growing up after we went trick-or-treating, we went straight to the hospital and they x-rayed our candy because there was some sort of yeah idea that there was razor blades in it or something. Uh-huh. So we sent uh-huh. all of our candy through the x-ray machine. Oh my gosh. And- See, why couldn't he have just done that? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I'm sure you had access to one of those. Well, the other thing, I think about what my dad did all day and then to come home and have right. your kids be like, let's go trick or treating. Like, I can't imagine the headspace. I mean, even with my job, some of the stories we hear are so difficult. We had a panel of early education experts that um, presented to a group of funders a couple days ago in the stories that we were hearing from Early Start and um, El Centro's Academy for Children and how hard it is on early education workers right now and the families. I mean, because those little kiddos, they still can't get vaccinated. We've still got a part of the population that can't even get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so that weighed heavily on me for, for a couple days. And like, Yesterday, I heard the news or two days ago that there was a shooting at one of our schools in Kansas Kansas City Public Schools. And I, you know, I took that hard and I tried to take that time on my drive home to kind of reset and let some of that stress go and let some of that, you know, anxiety go. But that stuff stays with you because when you're presented with a problem and you can't at the time be powerful to do anything about it it's really hard and mm-hmm. i think we all go through that everybody that works in the nonprofit sector in one way shape or form knows that there's a reason that they're actually needed that there re- there's a reason that they're there and it's because someone is hurting Mm-hmm. And so I will say, you know, I try to let it go and it's easier for me probably than what would have been for my dad, some of the stuff that he had to deal with. Um, but I just can't imagine now that, you know, that he, he came home from a day doing violent crimes and, bank right. and picked me <laughs> up family. and was my soccer coach. You know, oh. I mean, it's just, it's wild to think about. Right. And sometimes he just had to veg. He'd be sitting in his chair in front of the TV and I'd be like, dad, come play with me. Let's go, you know, let's go kick the ball around. And he just didn't have it in him. And I, now I know. <laughs> right, right. Why? Yeah. I was like, I just had that the other night I got home and I was like, I cannot, I'm just, I'm done for the yeah. day and I'm just vegging for the rest of the night. So yeah, working in that kind of work, I think that's a whole new level. Um, you got to really be able to compartmentalize a little bit. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. It's compartmentalizing or, you know, if the only other way through it, I think is to just be a hardened person. Mm -hmm. And we know that happens to some people where they, 
you know, they, it, it, in his job, it would be easy to stop seeing the people that they're serving as people and as, you know, human beings um, and not just criminals or not just, um, you know, things that are adversary to what you're trying to accomplish. Right. Um, and, but that was something that, you know, I'll always be proud of him for because everybody was still a person. Yeah. And was important and had a family and had a life and had value. Oh, that's nice. And I think that I'm, I'm sure that's really hard for all of our law enforcement agencies, because if you can't become hardened to it or compartmentalize it, what do you do? You act like they're not human. Yeah. And don't deserve what humans deserve. So yeah. Wow. Well, Carrie, this has been lovely. Ashley, do you have any other questions? Carrie, anything else you want to share? I don't have any questions. I just, you know, appreciate everything you've done for Happy Bottoms and just hearing you speak about it. I was like, man, why we should have had you on community days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we probably should have. <laughs> um, but I think that all of the people who have left their finances in your trust are in very good hands and um, you should feel good about that. Well, my goal was to be the best podcast guest that you guys ever had. So <laughs> I'm positive that that's what's happened. Knocked until... it out of the park. <laughs> until, it out of the park. until the next one anyway. <laughs> but I do appreciate the opportunity to, to yeah. give my unique perspective and to be, you know, a little bit vulnerable here um, mm-hmm. to share where I'm coming from and, and how I've been shaped and maybe it'll help some people um, understand a bit more about another person's perspective and let people know that your job exists. My job does exist. There's not that many of them. Right. And anytime there's one open, there's like hundreds of applicants. Wow. 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 Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. But I do, I, I think it is, I could never do your job, but I love it from the fact that, or or sometimes I think it's so cool because I do think you get a unique look at so many different nonprofits in our community that is hard to get a glimpse of otherwise. Um, I've actually always said that, that I, as my career has progressed, it's like, I move closer and closer to actually working for a nonprofit, but I don't think I ever actually could because then I would have to pick one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And where I am. Yeah. I get to touch so many different issues. Like I just told you all about, you know, the refugees in our own community, um, and early education struggles, um, you know, homelessness is still a major Mm -hmm. issue that our city is, is tackling. Um, and then we also, we do a lot of work in, in arts, in the arts. Um, you know, there's big or big arts organizations where if there weren't foundations to subsidize part of their operating expenses, their ticket prices would be so high that no one except the very elite would be able to afford to go. So the work that we do to keep ticket prices reasonable at very, very well-known and loved and high quality arts organizations is also important. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's, you know, there's education. Education is important too. And I could talk for days about all of these issues and more. And I do like being a generalist in this, in our, in our office, because I do get to touch all of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really that's cool. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, Carrie. We appreciate your time. And of course, all your support on the board and happy bottoms and 
Um, and it's yeah. been a ride. I told it you ha- I was, I was leaving on a, when things were good, you know, yes. <laughs> that's a good time to go. Even when things in happy bottoms are at an all time high Absolutely. for now, I'm sure it'll just keep getting higher. Yeah. And then, um, you know, it's been really important to me to learn more about the governance of an organization, how things work, what the financials look like, what's realistic and what's not. And in my, I, there's many times when I put my funder hat on and I think, how did the board miss that, you know, is what you would normally think. And then uh-huh. I can put my happy bottoms hat on and I'm like, I could see how that's actually well, that's how the board missed that. <laughs> yeah. the volunteers. They don't, right. you know, they don't work there full time. They're only there mm-hmm. for the goodness out of the goodness of their heart. Yep. <laughs> They're Absolutely. not going to catch you. Know, the things are going to happen. It's a wild ride. Sometimes crazy things do happen. A few yeah. crazy things have happened at happy bottoms, but at the end of the day, you know, I just really appreciate what that experience has brought to me in my personal and my professional life. And I couldn't be more proud of the organization mm. that exists today and the direction it's going and the people, oh my gosh, yeah. the people at Happy Bottoms are the best. A- yes. Uh, amen. I can, <laughs> it's amazing. And you were part of that. I mean, you helped get us to where we are in such a huge way. So it has, it's really cool. It's really, really cool. Well, I just want to be the best podcast guest. That's all. Yes, you are. (laughs) All right. Well, Carrie, thank you so much. Thank you. So we stopped recording, but the conversation continued and we got to talking a little bit more about the FBI and um, Carrie's uncle's still in the FBI. Uh, now they're going to be listening to us all the time we have a new we have a new listener my mom and the fbi (laughs) i couldn't even get my mom to listen what's wrong with me well i do i you know of course my mom i'm sure she listens some but (laughs) she doesn't need to listen to everything right right (laughs) um no that was fun with carrie though i do think it is really cool I, i i wish there was a better way for, I don't know, maybe somebody needs to write a book, like just a better way to showcase all of the work that's being done in Kansas city. It seems like everybody has to mm, almost fight to get the spotlight about their work when really what everybody's doing is just as important. It's all needed. Um, and it'd be really cool to collectively see what all of that is in one place. I, I don't know that that exists in Kansas city. I mean, or anyway, non, yeah, <laughs> nonprofit connects, I think connects a lot of us, but you're right. There's so many organizations doing so many things. I mean, one of the benefits that we have is that we, you know, have such a particular focus and we're the only ones that do what we do. Um, and so that allows us to be differentiated somewhat, but mm-hmm. there's yeah. Amazing organizations well, out and- there. Yeah, that's a good point. Because of the way we operate, we do get to hear about, work with, see a lot of those organizations because we collaborate with so many of them to get diapers into the community. Um, And so many I probably never would have known about had I not been with Happy Bottoms. So it's, I don't know. So we're going to have to figure that that one out, Ashley. How do we 
help spread the word about all the good work that's being done in Kansas City. <laughs> well, I do do a Thursday distribution agency shout out every week. Yes. And so this week was Britain Development, which I didn't realize was um, connected to Advent Health. Yep. Mm-hmm. But the work that they do looks amazing for special needs families. And a few I of mean, us actually went and toured uh, probably a couple years, I guess, pre-pandemic their new facility and it is just gorgeous and the work they do there is phenomenal i'll have to see if i can get a few of us to go on another tour over there because it is really really cool yeah that'd be great but that's one that i never would have known about if it wasn't for us you know collaborating with them so what do you call that on thursdays partner or what do we call it distribution agency highlight distribution agency highlight Mm -hmm. great check it out check out our social media Hashtag social media. Um, (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed Carrie and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.